Good morning. We jump back into our book after a couple weeks of break. Hope you've had a chance to read and not only read it, but um, look up the scriptures that back it up. Take time to cross-reference the the scriptures, I think. That's important to back up what he's teaching. But good to see you here. And before we start, let's have a word of prayer. Thank you, God, for another awesome new day, for your love, for your protection, for all the things that you give us. We know the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof and all they that dwell therein. Thank you for your word. Open it to us this morning through your spirit. It was listen to what you had to say to us and pray in your name. Amen. Okay, we pick up in our book, I made note here in page 134, 135 of uh, our book, and it started out with Satan is cast out of heaven. But last week I told you about the <clears throat> the big convention that they had in uh, Glasgow, Scotland. And I took a minute to review some of the results of what took place there. And it's so sad to read what the world is trying to do. And even amongst themselves, there was dissension, some fighting, disagreeing of how we're going to correct planet Earth. And... Um, there was one heading there that I come across of one of their sessions they had, and it said, Repairing a Broken World. Repairing a Broken World. And I thought, how true that is. It is definitely a broken world. But the recipe for repairing it, you and I have. The recipe, the way they were trying to repair it, will will never, never, never work. So it's so sad as I reviewed a lot of the things that they did there in in trying to curve the temperature of the earth for climate change. That's what it is, is all about, uh, climate change. And they're already planning on... Uh, it's entitled the COP26. They're planning uh, the COP27 that they're already planning for next year to try to get. They're going to have one every year. But I went ahead and looked at their agenda, and there's something going on almost every month of next year. Conventions for different aspects of the world. And I know as a church we are called to be Changers of hearts, you change the heart, you change the practice, you change society, you change governments by changing the heart. God gave us a commission to go and make disciples, not to change governments. You never found Christ revolting against the governments. We are to respect them as hard as that may be to do sometimes. But it was so sad, and I, I think the next big push that we see is going to happen is a big push for a more 
a solid world government. And that may happen soon. It may take a number of years before that happens. No one knows the day of the hour. I was thinking that Paul to the Thessalonians thought they were living in the last days. So here we are. Christ has not come back yet. We are still living in the last days, and I think we're closer to that day of his return, and they obviously were then. But the next big push, and I don't want to bring too many things out about the government, but the book of Daniel is very obvious. The book of Daniel talks about the governments at the time. Uh, we had the Babylonians, the Medes and the Persians. We had the Greece. We had Rome. And then we had the Ten Toes. And I believe we were slowly marching towards the Ten Toes of the book of Daniel. I come across an article here written by a French professor from the School of Business entitled, It's Time to Seriously Consider the Advantages of a World Federal Government. And he makes about seven statements here. I'll just take time to read to you uh, why we really need to do that. He first says, uh, the inability of states to deal with a pandemic should encourage us to explore new approaches to governance. Drawing on our knowledge of what has worked in the past, with this in mind, there are at least seven reasons why we should now consider moving toward a world federal government. Number one, to reduce inequality. We hear that all the time on the news right now. Things are not equal. It's not fair. You have a lot. They have little. You need to give and make it all equal. So to reduce inequality, there may be enough goods in the world, but not everyone has equal access. It or a world government would have the power to negotiate with the override national local governments in in areas within its competency. In other words, a world government could control making everybody happy and chicken in every pot, and we'd all be happy, would be equal. Number two, to eliminate current currency risk. Says if there were a federal government, federal world government and a federal monetary authority, it would be possible to have one currency less eliminating currency risk. That's number two. And this is probably the biggest one that I think is going to push. Number three, protecting the environment. And one of the things I noticed in the last conference they had in Glasgow that uh, China wasn't there. Russia wasn't there. I'm not sure India was there. They're one of the biggest, worst of governments that spew this smoke and hurt the environment. So it's hard to control those people. So if we would have a world government, number three here, protect the environment. It says, however, if pollution legislation were to be maintained at a world level, the rules would be exactly would be equally applicable everywhere, and therefore shifting focus, shifting factories to countries with more flexible legislation would no longer be possible. This means that companies would have to after their pro, would have to alter their process and products. In other words, the world government could control all the nations, so they would 
all come into compliance of not polluting Mother Earth, and that way we would all survive. So it's, I think that's going to be the next thing that we begin to hear, that we need a world government to control climate change, so they say. Number four, fixing taxation. If corporations could be taxed adequately, the money raised could be redistributed more democratically in an attempt to solve inequality rather than rely on the generosity of corporate social responsibility. So equal taxation, so we can spread it around. Number five, curbing the, the power of multinationals. In other words, businesses that are worldwide, that have companies all around the world. The large multinational corporations have tremendous economic power, often far greater than that of individual nations. In other words, these large corporations, they say, are taking advantage of small nations. So curbing the power of multinationals is a push. Number six, ensuring a fair response to crisis. They say the world government would start from the principle that all humans are equal if health measures were within the preview of the world government, and if it was elected democratically, it would be in this government's interest to ensure that people all over the world receive vaccines in a fair manner. And then number seven, solving the migration problem, as we all know, which is a big, big problem. And they end up by saying the pandemic has been a trigger for change. And there, the, he ends up by saying here that this pandemic points to the fact is one reason why we need world government. Perhaps the situation created by COVID-19 might serve to highlight the particular advantages of shifting to a world federal government. This may trigger a change that would not only help mitigate the damage caused by the pandemic, but would also offer a solution to many of the other challenges humanity currently faces. We're watching Daniel, the book of Daniel, slowly, methodically, march towards a world government. So when it'll be, I don't know. God's in control. And when it happens, happens. But it's interesting that the Bible, even though we are to make disciples, talks about what will be taking place in the last days. Look up because your redemption draws nigh. We ended up here, and he, like I said before, kind of jumps around to the events that take place during the tribulation. And what he's been talking about, events that's taking place towards the, there's going to be seven years of tribulation. The events we've been talking about were in the first half of that seven years. And we're coming to what he thinks at the middle of that part. But starting here, just a little review. I know if we talked about on page 134, where Satan is, there's, there's an interesting scripture here where Satan is cast out of heaven, and he says uh, a war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels brought forth against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought, but they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. 
And, and he, 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 obviously Satan has some access to heaven. What that is, I don't know. If you go back to Zechariah 3, uh, verses 1 to 2, uh, you will read an interesting event there where it talks about the cleansing of Joshua the high priest. Uh, and it, it's, let me read that to you. Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to oppose him. And the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. So the Bible says he is the accuser of the brethren before the Lord. But it's interesting. He, he goes on in that chapter and he says, therefore, after he's been kicked out in the war in heaven, says, therefore, rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea. For the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows that his time is short. I believe the last half of those seven years, like I believe Christ says in Matthew 24, is going to be a great tribulation. Something that will take things that will take place on planet Earth like it's never taken place on planet Earth before. Um, he knows his time is short. The last half of tribulation is 1260 days. If you take 1260 days, divide by 360, which is a Jewish calendar, is three and one half years. So Satan is cast out of heaven. I believe he's cast down to earth. And trust me, you do not want to be on planet earth those last three and a half years. Unbelievable. The things that, that hit my mind as studying this that's going to take place on planet earth those last three and a half years. He moves on here in page 135 where the world church is destroyed. And he quotes Revelation 17. He jumps from chapter 12 to 17. He says, that, I'll quote what's in the book here. The ten horns or the, I believe, the uh, government that's in charge at the time, the ten horns in the, horns in the Bible stands for authorities. It says, the ten horns that you saw, they and the beast will hate the prostitute. Who is a prostitute? I believe it is the false church that would take place. We as uh, Christ church is known as a pure unspotted bride. But here the prostitute talks about, I believe, the uh, world church that will take place. It says they will hate the prostitute. They will make her desolate and naked and devour her flesh and burn her up with fire. For the Lord has put it into their hearts to carry out his purpose by being of one mind and handing over their royal power to the beast or the Antichrist into the word until the words of God are fulfilled. So the Antichrist, even though it's going to be a world church, the Antichrist will ultimately even consume that and do away with that and set himself up as 
as number one is what he plans to do. Uh, moving on over, <clears throat> we'll keep moving here. Uh, on page 136, and we talked about this a little bit earlier in this book, where God's two prophetic witnesses are executed and resurrected. I think of some of the most interesting things that's going to take place during that seven years are these two witnesses that will be walking on planet Earth in the city of Jerusalem. And they can't touch them and do anything to them until they finally kill them. A lot of people think it's going to be Elijah and Moses. Some people think it's going to be uh, Enoch and uh, Moses. I don't know. I think it's one of the two of the three. But uh, they will be killed. They will be left lay in the streets of Jerusalem. And the world will see that. They will come back to life. And uh, then it will be taken back to heaven. But when they are killed, it says they will make merry and exchange presents. Some people think, and he makes mention here, that maybe this is at a Christmas time. That when they exchange gifts, I don't know. No one really knows. But uh, these two uh, witnesses that... Uh, can keep it from raining, can make it rain, can call, can kill people, are going to be walking the streets of Jerusalem. Uh, the things that take place in the book of Revelation that's predicted to take place on planet Earth is, is mind-boggling, is mind-boggling. I can't imagine what the news media is going to be reporting uh, when those days begin to take place. Page 137, uh, this is where they believe that the uh, middle of those seven years will actually take place is when the Antichrist breaks his covenant with Israel. Uh, and I believe the satanic forces, which has been kicked out of heaven with his angels, are going to be on planet Earth like never ever before, headed up by uh, the Antichrist. And you notice <clears throat> Satan always has, and we don't have time to go into all this, always mimics what God has. We have almost, we have a satanic trinity. Satan as God, the Antichrist as Christ, and the false prophet as the Holy Spirit. So we have a satanic trinity, imagine what God has, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit here taking place on planet Earth. But the Antichrist <clears throat> will break his covenant with Israel. If you go back to Daniel nine twenty four to 27, it talks about Antichrist will come and he will confirm a covenant. A lot of people talk about the Antichrist making a covenant. The Bible says he will confirm a covenant. Now, could it be that there's a covenant that you and I could actually see before he comes along and said, yes, that's a good covenant. We're going to make that solid. We're going to stand by this. We're going to maybe add some things to it. And Israel thinks, ah, finally, we have peace. Finally, we have peace. But in the middle of the seven years, he will break that covenant, and I believe all satanic 
hell will break loose on planet Earth against particularly uh, the Jewish people. And he will go into, we go over to page 138, you will have what you call the abomination of desolation occurs. And we had back uh, previously at 168 B.C. on page 139, he makes mention of a, a prototype of what was to take place in the end times when Antioch Epiphanes erected an altar to Zeus in the temple at Jerusalem and sacrificed a pig in unclean, an unclean animal on the altar at that time. So the Antichrist will totally turn against the Jewish people and try to wipe them off the face of the earth. And by the way, that's the Palestinians in their charter that to annihilate the Jews off of the earth, completely do away with them. <clears throat> so he will, uh, I believe, once again, uh, carry out something that is very, very similar to the uh, what Antioch Epiphanes did in 168 B.C. And that triggers the halfway point, I believe, of the seven-year tribulation period. If you move on over, I'm going to skip on over to uh, page 141, where it says the Antichrist blasphemes God. And if you go to 2 Thessalonians... <clears throat> You're going to see, I believe, an ultimate war between God and Satan here. But God is still in charge. But we see in 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 4, says this about the Antichrist. He opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Think about that. The Antichrist. He exalts himself against everything so-called God and or object of worship. What is that? Who knows? Um, maybe he says he does away with the symbols of the cross that no longer can be displayed on planet Earth. Because it's offensive to people, you may say. We even hear that today. I was reading things that are offensive, that there are certain uh, uh, universities that are trying to do away with Thanksgiving. Did you read that? Because it's offensive to people. So, and he sets himself up in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. When it says he sets himself up in the temple of God, there has to be a temple there, which will some way will be built. There will be uh, sacrifice being done uh, on the temple because he makes that stop. But uh, he goes on to say here that some people down at the bottom of the page through the church history have interpreted this to mean that the Antichrist seeks to place himself on the throne of the human heart as an object of worship. I don't believe that's the case. 
I take it literal here where he sets himself on the seat of the temple of God. Uh, and if you would go back and read in Isaiah some of the things that Satan planned to do uh, here, it's, it's, it's part of that. One thing he says, I will sit in Isaiah, uh, he says, I will sit on the mount of the assembly in the far reaches of the north. And I believe that is a reference to what he would try to do here in the temple. Turn with me in in um, the book of Matthew, where Christ makes mention of this. Matthew 24. When the disciples ask him, uh, when is going to be the ends of things? Uh and he goes on to tell them what's going to happen. But he starts, he, he goes in Matthew 24, verses 15 to 22. Listen to what he says here. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place. There it is. Christ told the Jews, therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation Spoken by Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place. Whoever reads, let him understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. He's talking to the Jewish people here. When you see the Antichrist desecrate the temple and set himself up as God and maybe uh, sacrifice a pig on the altar says, let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. And let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant and those who are nursing babies in those days. And pray that your flight may not be in, in winter or on the Sabbath. For then there will be great tribulation such has not been since the beginning of the world until this time, nor no, nor ever shall be. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. That's a triggering point to the Jewish people that you better leave town. And I think that what he's saying here, don't go back into your house. Let him who's on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. The anger and hostility that will be against the Jewish people and the Jewish nation will be like it's never been before. And he's telling them to leave. And if you look at page 143 here, the Jewish remnant flees. And we have a picture in Revelation 12, a short snapshot of the coming, I believe, of... Christ to the earth and how Satan tried to kill the dragon and uh, and how he was saved and how he was born who was to rule the nation rod of iron 
But in verse 6 of that portion of Revelations 12, 1 through 6, it says, Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God that they should feed her there 1,260 days, three and a half years. So Christ is saying when you see the abomination of the Antichrist set himself up in Jerusalem, leave. Where are they going to go? Most scholars feel that they will go to the area of Petra. Maybe some of you that's visited. Anybody ever been to Petra here? Anyone? You have? Okay. Quite a place, isn't it? It's setting empty now. It's in the country of Jordan. And in Jordan and Israel, for some reason, it's had a very good um, relationship between the two. And I understand. I heard someone say last night that this is the area where Ruth went to. And it was created by, was it the Moabites? But it's made out of rock. Who knows where they're going to go, but most Bible scholars that I've read claim that somehow, miraculously, the Jewish people, when they see the abomination of desolation, the Antichrist in the temple, they will flee to this area, and they will be protected for three and a half years, a small remnant, while the balance of them left in Jerusalem will be done away with. And they're thinking that they're getting away. And uh, it goes on here. It says, uh, they will be nourished for a time and time, half a time. The serpent poured out water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with a flood. But the earth came to help the woman. And the earth opened the mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured out from his mouth. Then the dragon came, became furious with the woman and went off to make war. On the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus, and he stood on the sand and sea. In other words, he will try to come against them, but God miraculously will protect them. If Is it Petra? I don't know. But it's a very fortified area there, uh, kind of, uh, it's actually, like I said, in the country of Jordan to the east of the nation of Israel. So that's going to be kind of a triggering point uh, at the middle of the uh, seven-year period. It goes on over in page 146. Satan makes war on the saints. And and he jumps back to chapter 13 where the beast was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. I believe there will be people that will come to know the Lord during the tribulation period. They will be hunted down. They will be killed. They will starve. It was going to be an incredible, difficult time for anyone to survive that tries to follow uh, Jesus Christ during that period of time. Over, and then it jumps into chapter 14. And chapter 14 is an interesting chapter in the book of Revelations. And it's almost like seven visions of what is to come uh, for um the future. Uh, the book of Revelation is, is not really written in chronological order. We can know the mainstream of, of events, the many events that will take place during that mainstream is very 
difficult, and I haven't found anybody that satisfied my mind of how all that's going to take place in certain order. But chapter 14 is like seven visions of what is to come. We have from verses 1 to 5, it talks about the 144,000 that's going to be sealed. And most Bible scholars think that they will be 144 Jews that will preach the gospel of the kingdom. The kingdom's coming. In Matthew 24, it talks about the gospel of the kingdom. They will be protected during that period of time. We have verses 6 to 7, the declaration of gospel that's going to be preached. And verse 8, we have the destruction of Babylon. In verses 9 to 11, uh, we have the doom of the defectors. In 12 to 13, we have the death of the saints. In 14 to 16, we have the division of people. And there's so much in here, we don't have time to begin to go in and, and talk about each individual one. In verses 17 to 20, we have the battle of Armageddon, which most Bible scholars believe will be at the end, at the very end of that seven-year period of tribulation on planet Earth. I'm moving along very rapidly. Anybody have any questions on anything? Anyone? Yes, that's true. Uh, you look at the Jewish people and what they went through in the Holocaust, and it was horrible, absolutely horrible. And you ask God, why? 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 Yeah. But you look at the modern day Holocaust, but look back at the Jews that were in slavery in Egypt. And you look back at the Jews that were in captivity in Babylon. So throughout the lifespan of the Jewish nation, there's been not only in our modern time, They've been treated like that, but they've been treated other times just as bad. But there's coming a time. There's coming a time through all eternity. I believe they will be the light to the world, along with the ones that have learned to know him, the Gentiles as well. But what he says, what Christ said to them in Matthew 24 uh, I, I think the, I don't think he's saying you can't go grab a cloak to go. I, the, what he's saying there is the intensity of leaving town is so great that don't even think about getting your possessions. Leave. And leave now. And there will be a remnant that will leave and be protected. And the Antichrist will try to destroy them. But they will miraculously, as scripture says, be protected. But the balance of them that says, yeah, you know, this guy is nothing. Well, guess what? You won't be here long. Yes. 
Speak as loud as you can. I was just wondering if people at home could hear your system would say, oh, you can't leave your house and be worshiping our trucks, and that's why maybe Jesus doesn't go back to your house, or is he your house? Yeah, it's going to be interesting. You know, our modern conveniences that we have that we depend so much on, are they going to work? They could work against us, true. Yeah. And not only that, the warfare that could take place in space with all the modern conveniences and wireless things that we have could be, don't work. Don't work. You know, I, 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 I don't know about you, but I get excited about end times. My redemption draws near. For a Christian, it's our hope. It's our hope. A lot of people say, oh, I don't want to talk about that. That's depressing. It gets me down. I don't want to hear anything about it. I don't want to study it. Well, why did God put it in his word? And he says, you know, don't forsake the sending of yourself together. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. Do we visually see the day approaching? I, I mean... I believe we should, personally. That's my own opinion. You can differ with me if you want. But we we can see the day approaching. When you see governments being formed, like the book of Daniel says it's going to be formed, the day is approaching. So we're going to need each other, I think, more than ever, to encourage one another, to to uh, stand strong, uh, I do not believe we're going to see God's judgment like the book, like Revelation talks about. We may see man's persecution. But before God let judgment fall, there's a pattern in scripture. He always, always, always removed the righteous. Always removed the righteous. And you can point out uh, many times where he done that. And he's going to, we are not appointed under wrath, scripture says. We are going to be removed before God's judgment falls on planet earth. And the last half of that judgment of the seven years is unbelievable. Unbelievable. I can't imagine what humanity's going to say. And scripture says, even when that falls, they're not going to repent. I think some will. They're not going to repent. I've never seen a time in society, in our culture, like it is right now. Have you? Just it's it's read the news. What refreshing it is to read God's news, good news, to know that our hope is secure, and like the Scripture says, as we see the day approaching, I think. And and if you if you <clears throat> study. Prophetic things, you can see it sprinkled throughout Scripture from cover to cover. Anybody have other questions? Anyone? He starts in chapter 12. We'll just make mention of it, something to think about because it's about time to, to close here. Uh, the second half of the tribulation, 
and he talks about the introduction, but on page 153, he talks about the mark of the beast. The mark of the beast. I'll read here uh, verse 16 and 18. The false prophet causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand of forehead so that no one can buy or sell unless he has a mark. That is the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is 666. What is the mark of the beast? Anybody know? Speak real loud if you can. I think it's going to be an absolute choice. I think we're going to know that we have a choice. Okay. I don't think it's going to be something that, you know, people talk about a chip or this or that. I don't think they can give it to you accidentally. You have to agree to take it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's interesting what they're doing with this pandemic with taking the shot. They're just getting people uh, used to being forced to do things. And I don't, you can agree or disagree whether you should take it or not. It's up to you. But I think they're grooming society. They're grooming society. That's what's going to take place. You know, over the years, we've read numerous uh, dots of who the Antichrist is and the mark of the beast and how their name and equates to 666. I just kind of let that go over my head personally for myself because I haven't found anybody that really satisfies. I'm not sure anybody knows. The number 666. The number of six in Scripture is for man. And it could mean that it's the ultimate ultimate humanistic satanic individual six to the six 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 I don't know or it may equate to his name or may, I don't know I don't know but he will cause all to take a mark some people think that it's going to be uh, a chip some people think it's going to be a mark uh, I don't know it's going to be some form that you have to have in order to function in society. And they're, like I said, they're grooming people and it's right now with this pandemic situation. Even in the country of Austria, they're talking about locking down people uh, that do not have been vaccinated. And there was huge protests yesterday against that in Europe. Uh, so it's an interesting time to see what's going to take place. But there is going to be the mark of the Antichrist. They're going to say if society is to function, if society is going to get by, if we're going to keep everything equal, if we're going to make everybody happy, if we can travel, if we can buy, if we can sell, you have to have this identifying, some type identifying mark. 944, we'll see you next week.